nobody likes to say they need help. The military is comprised of a lot of highly functioning, successful individuals who are raising families. And when you go to work every day and you come home and you're, and you're dealing with these issues, I just think as a whole, it's hard for people to just ask for that help. Welcome to War Dogs, the military medicine podcast. This show brings you a firsthand, behind-the-scenes look into the mission, unique opportunities, and deployed experiences of the entire military healthcare team. From state-of-the-art hospitals in the United States to the most austere environments across the globe, War Docs has you covered. Dr. Sidney Sven is a pediatrician who attended medical school at the Uniformed Services University and recently graduated from a pediatric residency at Walter Reed and is currently starting neonatology fellowship training. On this episode, we explore the critical issue of food insecurity within the military. We delve into the challenges service members face and discuss the innovative solutions and initiatives that military medicine is employing to combat this concern head on. You can find out more about Dr. Sven and our previous guests on our website, wardoxpodcast.com. I'm your host, Dr. Doug Soderdahl, a retired Army urologist. Today, we're privileged to welcome Air Force Captain Dr. Sidney Sven to Wardox. Sidney, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your pathway to Air Force medicine and your current role within military medicine? So I grew up in New Jersey as the child of two immigrants to the United States. Both my parents were born and raised throughout their adolescent years in what was then the Soviet Union. Grew up in New Jersey, went to college in Michigan for civil engineering, and wound up doing that for six years before even starting to think about medicine. I bounced around a bit from Southern Colorado to Georgia and back to Denver again and met my girlfriend at the time, my now wife. We got married, and one day I just kind of looked around and realized after six years, this is what the rest of my life was going to look like. I wasn't fulfilled. My wife was active duty Air Force at the time, now active duty Space Force, and we're getting ready to PCS away from Colorado. And it just served as a, a good opportunity for a clean break from engineering and an opportunity to pursue medicine and overall fulfillment. Spent a year in Boston. I did some post-baccalaureate work, some research. And I worked closely with a, a big mentor of mine, Dr. Matthew Preventure, who's a now retired Navy orthopod, who spoke nothing but glowingly about his time with the Navy and military medicine. I had the great fortune of going to UCIS for medical school and then going ahead and starting pediatric residency at Walter Reed here right next door, which I'm graduating from right now. Um, I'll be starting the Unitology Fellowship at Walter Reed here this July. I and mean, I've had really a great opportunity in military medicine to contribute to the COVID response. Graduated from UCIS a little bit early back in April of 2020. Have been able to help out with the Operation Allied Refuge um, mission with the Afghans, um, doing pediatric and neonatal transports from Andrews to Walter Reed, and overall have had a very rewarding and fulfilling time here in the military. Well, I got a chance to look at your bio sketch, and I was really impressed with all of the stuff that you've done in medical school and in residency, especially in the area of research. And one of your current research interests is food insecurity in the military. Can you explain what that is and how it impacts the United States and the military specifically? Sure. So by its definition, food insecurity is the inability to provide sufficient quantity or quality of food for yourself and your family. As far as the military, it's an increasingly prevalent concern. Historically, we thought that food insecurity in the military was like 0.08 to 0.1% using SNAP or food stamps colloquially known as, as a surrogate for that number. Well, there was a DOD report in July of 2022 by the Department of Defense, and they found that between October of 2020 and January 2021, that 24% of military service members experienced food insecurity. And that is in comparison to the 
10.3% that we expect from the civilian population. So to kind of summarize it, one in four active duty service members struggled to find sufficient food. That was corroborated by a study released by the Military Family Advocacy Network, which showed, I believe, 23% food insecurity for those families that they surveyed. And so as a whole, that increased prevalence was a big issue. From a military standpoint, it's multifaceted. It impacts healthcare costs for families, overall recruitment, retention, and military readiness. From a recruitment standpoint, your listeners are probably well aware of it, but there's been lots of recent news articles outlining how all branches of the military are currently experiencing a shortage in meeting their annual recruitment quotas. And the prevalence of obesity is a pretty large component of that. Food insecurity contributes to obesity directly related to a family's inability to provide that high quality of food. And so given that a large proportion of military recruiting is reliant on those children of service members, that increasing military food insecurity likely contributes to the childhood obesity and thus some of that aspect of recruiting quotas. From a retention standpoint, it can also be a little bit of a, of a factor. A lot of military families quote family considerations as reasons for why they leave the military, and these increasing rates of food insecurity can directly impact those service members' decisions to leave. And then as a whole, as far as overall effectiveness, food insecurity has been linked to increased anxiety, increased stress in the civilian population, that impact is likely also seen in the military where we already see elevated risk of anxiety and depression. And those factors directly impact military readiness and likely impact the overall effectiveness of our military members. So the dates that you mentioned there that were covered in that report covered the COVID time. And so obviously COVID is going to have some impact on the availability of healthcare, perhaps nutrition. As we've got a reprieve from COVID, how do you think that has changed the levels of food insecurity in the military? Has that made any difference? It, it's hard to really say. The Military Family Advocacy Network report actually was a little later period than that. It went from the end of 2020 into kind of through 2021 period there. And so um, seeing that consistent trend of about one in four, that 23 to 24% is a little concerning as we started to head out of the COVID pandemic. I think that the issues are still kind of there and that COVID really highlighted some of those issues, certain aspects such as ability of defects for off-shift workers, overall pay for military members and their families, as well as access to those foods, and then just generally the overall inflation post-COVID that we've seen overall in society here are all likely contributors to those things. But I do think that food insecurity, based on some of the, the continuing research that we've done, it's still a pretty significant prevalent issue, and we're still seeing a lot of families that are suffering. So you mentioned the SNAP or food stamps, and that's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And to qualify for that, that generally requires some kind of income determination. And because the system includes things like basic allowance for subsistence, COLA, a lot of military families don't qualify for SNAP. But there is another program that you're really looking at specifically, which is the WIC program, the Women and Infants and Children part of that SNAP, where you found that military families could qualify to be, become part of that program. Tell us a little bit more about WIC enrollment and what is the problem or barriers that are being seen in, in the military? Yeah, so WIC enrollment as a whole, you outlined it perfectly there. So WIC, the, the Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infant, and Children, we found that that can be hugely beneficial for families who are either having active pregnancy right now, postpartum women, or children less than five years old. 
What that program does is it provides a multitude of resources. So nutritional teaching is one, breastfeeding supplies and support, which is something that's commonly given in the military, but they can provide additional support, especially in those MTFs and those bases that are a little bit more isolated and may not have lactation consultants. It also provides food supplementation benefits for each eligible family member. So that food supplementation benefit, it ranges from approximately $100 a month for pregnant or breastfeeding mothers, about $140 to $180 a month for infants, and about $75 a month for children less than five years old. And that includes nutritious foods such as milk, dairy products, cereals, peanut butter, fruits, vegetables. Some of the issues that we're seeing right now as a whole are just that people are a little bit confused between the different kind of organizations that are out there and the different programs. So SNAP is the big one, as you alluded to. It's the big one that everybody hears about, families that endorse food insecurity. They get told, okay, go sign up for food stamps. Well, the unique thing about WIC in comparison to food stamps or SNAP is that WIC does not take your BAH, your housing allowance, or any COLA subsistence into account as income for those calculations. And so when you remove that from your income, a lot of families do wind up qualifying for WIC benefits, especially a lot of those families who are in need but may not have met the income threshold or criteria for food stamps. Are there any other state or federal programs that address needs in the population that's not covered with WIC besides SNAP? Yeah. So as you alluded to there, SNAP covers all children and adults. WIC covers children less than five, pregnant women, and then postpartum women through that first year postpartum. And so that leaves a huge gap for those food insecure families. Some of the other programs, SNAP is the one as we've kind of talked about. So that one provides monthly food benefits, takes into account your entire pay for the eligibility criteria. And it's a little bit more laborious and difficult to get enrolled and stay enrolled. There's the National School Lunch Program and the After School Meal Program, which is for all children who are enrolled in school. That same criteria, um, that eligibility criteria is the same as it would be for SNAP, again, taking your BAH into account. There's also a lot of food bank opportunities as well in local areas that can help acutely. Emergency Food Assistance Program is the kind of the overarching group that organizes all of that. And then additionally, there's some military advocacy organizations, such as the National Military Family Association, with whom we've worked closely on a lot of our food insecurity projects, the Military Family Advocacy Network that I alluded to earlier with their report. Both of those large organizations, they have unique projects that are aimed at providing food-based aid for those military families that are at need. And so if you go to their websites, they usually have a lot of opportunities as well. As I mentioned before, among all the state and federal programs, that unique aspect of WIC, and I can't highlight it enough, is that BAH and COLA are not included in your income calculation. So many of those families are unknowingly eligible, including those families who may have applied for SNAP benefits and been deemed ineligible. Do families individually apply to enroll in these government programs or state programs? And what role do military healthcare professionals play in screening and enrolling? The unique thing about the military is that we have bases all over. And so I won't speak definitively about every base across the entire United States or overseas. But from what we've seen in all the families that we've spoken to and then the different bases that we've talked to, over 19 bases and kind of through our work, what we've seen is that for the most part, the onus is placed on the families to apply and enroll in those programs themselves. The majority don't require a physician referral unless the families require a deviation from like the standardized supplementation program. For example, if you needed specialty formula for WIC, you would then need a physician to sign and justify why you needed a specialty formula versus the standard term infant formulas. 
As far as our military healthcare professionals, in theory, our role is to help identify families and also provide them with the information necessary to facilitate both the easy and rapid enrollment in those programs so that we can effectively help these families who are in need. That's increasingly challenging given the rapid nature of our outpatient visits, as well as providers in general. They just have a lack of comfort discussing the granular detail of the assistance programs. So for example, at Walter Reed, we did a quality program here where we were assessing obstetric and pediatric providers. We found that 31% were not aware of the WIC program. And for those providers who were aware, 74% of them were not comfortable discussing benefits of the program or guiding families through the enrollment process. As we transition to the new Genesis EMR, 90% of our MTFs are planning on utilizing a screening tool called SWIC for our children five and under. That includes food insecurity questions in it. So as such, our healthcare professionals are going to be in a position where they can identify and provide resources and guidance to at-risk families. But the gap right now is, do they have that knowledge to be able to do so? So as a urologist, I probably wouldn't be aware of, of WIC and SNAP, but that is somewhat alarming that among pediatricians, there's a lack of awareness and really uncomfortable feeling about talking about it with their patients. So you discover these findings. What specific recommendations were you able to implement to improve provider education and really getting the healthcare professionals to focus on this for the vulnerable families that they're seeing? Yeah, so the, it, it took a lot of time, effort, and I, I think a lot of passion for it. I'll be honest, all, my interest in all of this kind of started when we had a Navy GMO come back from the fleet. She had done her intern year here, went out for a couple of years as a GMO, and then came back and joined my PGY2 class. And she said, and everybody kind of looked around and said, what's WIC? And I remember getting kind of more heavily involved in that initial quality program. And I, I went home to my wife one day and I said, hey, I, I screened someone and got them enrolled for WIC. Look how I'm helping them. And my wife looked at me like, are you kidding me? You've been doing this for a long time. You went through all of med school. You've gone through a year and a half of residency, and you're just discovering all of this. And I was a little bit embarrassed. I'll be completely honest. My wife, who was prior enlisted as a medic, was like, I had friends that were utilizing WIC as an officer now. She helped some of her airmen or guardians now get enrolled with programs like this. And so I was a little bit embarrassed. And so that kind of was my motivation and incentive for really kind of pushing hard on this and getting as much information as I could. And so what I did was we, we looked up everything we could and we talked to everybody who would listen and anybody who would share information with us. Our guidance and what we kind of did as part of that initial study was we put together a five-minute video that really outlined those big high points of what the WIC program is, why it's different than other programs, what it offers and how they can refer families and what they can kind of provide families to get them enrolled. And so that little five minute video was distributed around. And what we found in kind of our post video assessment was that with that video, we were able to get our most of our providers feeling about 90% comfortable with what the program is and what they needed to do if someone came to them asking for help. So it sounds like one of the major barriers obviously was a lack of awareness, both on the provider side and the patient side. Were there any other systemic barriers that you found that you could do something about in order to improve the enrollment for those who need it? Yeah. So the awareness is a huge thing. So in my opinion, as, as a doc, one of the worst things that can happen is someone comes to you and asks for help and you look at them and say, there's nothing I can do. And so that, that's what this really, really felt like. 
At the clinic level, awareness in the physicians and other providers, it was the number one key thing. The other difficulties that we've, we've found, at least in enrollment, are that while families may know about WIC, while providers may be able to refer them to WIC, the enrollment process isn't always easy. And there was this big disconnect be- between our clinic, our providers, and the local WIC offices. When you speak with the local offices, they're super eager. They want to help. They want to get involved. But getting on a military base isn't easy for them. And so we can't bring the families over to those local WIC offices. And so there was this little disconnect where, again, we had to kind of put the pressure and all of the responsibility on these families to figure out what documents they needed, where they needed to go, schedule an appointment, and figure it all out. And so, again, putting the onus on these families tended to be the thing that we saw a lot that wound up being a big issue. The other aspects of things were just logistically. Things like having to go drive to the WIC offices, schedule those appointments for long wait times. Other aspects were repeat doctor's appointments. So pediatric appointments, as many people with children are aware, are pretty frequently, you know, we've got a two-week, a two-month, a four-month, a six-month, a nine-month, a 12-month, a 15-month, an 18-month. You've got all these appointments that you've got to come in for with a small child, if not more than one. You then have to repeat a lot of those exams at the local WIC office where they get heights, weights, and measurements. And so these kind of double appointments made it really difficult for families to kind of be able to do it all. Other aspects that we saw uniquely to our military were when you leave a state by PCSing, you don't just open up a new account. Your current state has to then receive the packet from your previous state WIC office because it's a state-based program. And there can be a one to two to three month gap or some of the times that we've heard for families without back pay or back benefit. And so all of these little kind of unique aspects of military care created enough of a burden where in my opinion, I think we should be doing a little bit better job by taking some of the onus off of those families and helping them navigate this process. So you mentioned that one of your partners that came out from a GMO kind of raised the awareness locally within the residency program, but she was coming from an overseas position. What options are available for those who are stationed overseas? Is WIC something that they can get and and how do they do it? Yeah, so it is. It is. And actually, sometimes it does run a little bit better. So Family stationed overseas are managed by the DOD, not by the state-based programs here, either CONUS or in Hawaii and Alaska. So if you're overseas internationally, the DOD handles it through the WIC overseas program. Um, There are WIC overseas counselors at overseas locations. They provide on-base eligibility determination and enrollment for those benefits. And then families that are currently CONUS that are enrolled with WIC through the state-based programs, they're automatically eligible for those benefits which are then transferred to the PCS overseas as well. And so it is a program that is available to them and does sometimes run a little bit more smoothly. Some of the issues, though, are that the benefits for WIC specifically are not a monetary amount. It is you are eligible for this amount of vegetables, this monetary amount of dairy products or cheese or yogurts. With some of the supply chain issues, some of the things that we've heard overseas are that families aren't able to utilize all of their monthly WIC benefits. And so while they're able to get enrolled a little bit quicker there and get benefits faster, they're not always able to fully maximize those overseas, which is one of the challenges of this WIC program, OCONUS. Is there any stigma associated with receiving WIC or receiving food stamps that really prevents people on active duty from applying because they just don't want to be seen as that needy person? 
I think generally there's a stigma associated with food insecurity, regardless of what program people are enrolled with. Nobody likes to say they need help. The military is comprised of a lot of highly functioning, successful individuals who are raising families. And when you go to work every day and you come home and you're, and you're dealing with these issues, I just think as a whole, it's hard for people to just ask for that help. I do think that there is a stigma associated with these programs. I know that there are issues in, in the past with things like SNAP or WIC, where you would have to check out your food in a different grocery line, or you would pay for certain types of food with your, your WIC or your SNAP benefits, and then you would have to create a separate pile for the group of food that you're paying with your individual cash. They've done a good job of destigmatizing it as a whole. So like, for example, the state of Maryland, with which I'm pretty intimately familiar here at Walter Reed, they have an app. It actually loads it all up on your phone and you pay almost like you would with Apple Pay. You pay through the app. It shows you how much you have left. You can scan barcodes and see if certain foods are eligible. It provides you with a bunch of different locations for where you can get WIC eligible food, including farmer's markets in like downtown DC and other kind of non-conventional big box grocery stores. And so as a whole, I think that that stigma is starting to be addressed, but I do think that it exists just from a needing help, asking for help standpoint, because we are so proud in the military, but also because utilizing those benefits may have some of those that, that adverse stigma. Well, it's really encouraging to me to see you and the military really take this issue seriously and, and want to solve it and really do something about it. Tell me a little bit about what you have planned in the future, any future studies or intervention initiatives? Yeah, so we just finished a both a qualitative and quantitative survey in combination with NMFA, the National Military Family Association. That's one of the big nonprofit family military advocacy groups. So what we did was we reached out using a VPR grant that we had. We reached out to about 400 families across the DOD, across the United States, who had experience either utilizing WIC or trying to utilize WIC benefits to figure out were there benefits to it? Were there barriers to enrollment or continued enrollment? Or were there aspects of their different bases or their locations that actually really helped them to get enrolled and stay enrolled for those benefits? We're kind of in the process of evaluating all of that. We did focus groups afterwards, so that's the qualitative aspect. So right now we're kind of in the final stages of that. What we've seen is kind of what I alluded to earlier. A lot of the families say that just information is and knowledge of the WIC program as a whole, that's where a lot of it is lacking. We did a study at Walter Reed back in July of 2022, where we assessed a, a little over 600 families, and we found that our food insecurity rates were a little less than the, the national average for the military, that 24%. Ours were about 12%, but we found that 23% of those families here at Walter Reed, which is a pretty officer-heavy base, were WIC eligible, but that 70% of those WIC eligible families were not enrolled. And so that was really concerning for us and really highlighted that, like I mentioned earlier, I, a lot of families are unknowingly eligible. Another aspect of that study was we assessed whether or not they even knew about WIC as a whole. And over 80% of those families knew about WIC, but they didn't know if they were eligible or not. And so the, even the group that didn't know about WIC, it was about the same percentage of, groups that, of the group that knew about WIC and the group that didn't know about WIC who were unknowingly eligible for WIC benefits. And that really kind of hammered home for us that the current method of people kind of learning about WIC through non-military sources, word of mouth, online, kind of commissary handouts, it's not effective in getting those families who are eligible and are in need enrolled for WIC. 
And so that's why we did the kind of further survey and qualitative. And then it actually led to us applying for and now being awarded a grant through the, the FDA. Can you tell us about the specifics of what you're planning to do and, and what your project's all about? We're hiring a couple of people to actually be our on-base kind of food and security counselor liaisons. Fort Campbell is one of those big at-risk bases, big infantry population, bigger enlisted population. And we go out there as Walter Reed pediatric residents to do our nursery rotation as kind of a cumulative experience. And so that was why we targeted it. And so what we're doing there is this kind of novel approach of identifying families, because in the military, we know what everybody makes. We know what you're off of your rank, your time in service, how much you make approximately, because BAH doesn't matter. And then we know how many people are in your family based off of your years enrollment. And so we can figure out pretty quickly kind of who that high-risk population is at a base. And so that's what we're doing is we're going to compile a list off of all that information, run like an informatics approach. We'll utilize those two hires there to kind of help guide those families and act as kind of the middlemen for recruiting those families, getting them enrolled and keeping them enrolled, as well as being like on-base liaisons for our OB and pediatric departments there. And we've done this in partnership with the WIC Kentucky and WIC Tennessee offices because Fort Campbell uh, straddles both states. And so we have like support from those upper leadership there. And they're actually working with us to get rid of those double doctor's appointments. They're working with us to streamline the enrollment process and work together as a whole to get all these families enrolled and keep them enrolled. And so that's kind of a a big project that we're setting off right now, just because I think it's important for people to kind of know what we're trying to do and at least kind of be aware that we are trying to push forward instead of just saying, yeah, this is a big issue. This is clearly an important topic for recruitment, retention, but really for overall military readiness. And so I'm glad that you've really taken on this this project and wish you the best when you're starting your neonatology fellowship. So we've been speaking with Dr. Sidney Sven on Wardock's podcast. Sidney, thanks again for sharing your insights and talking about this important topic. And thank you for your service. We really wish you the best. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. I hope that by bringing attention to the issue of military food security, that we can help remedy it and we can implement some of these interventions. And while these large scale changes are made, I hope our discussion just helps destigmatize food insecurity and empowers those military members to discuss it and address this. Thank you so much for kind of giving us a little bit of a voice here and letting us talk about this. Thank you for listening to War Docs. We sure hope you enjoyed it. War Docs is a nonprofit organization supported by donations from listeners like you. Please follow and subscribe to our show on whatever platform you consume your podcasts and rate and review this episode and share the show with your contacts on social media. Find out more information about our show, our guests, and how to become a member of Team Wardocs on wardocspodcast.com. Thank you for your support. If you like war stories and medical drama, Wardocs has you covered. Spread the word.